Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ed Krasnick. My partner, Jennifer Kalari, will be along shortly. She's a licensed therapist, and I'm out of my mind. So it works really well. Uh, This is the show where we talk about mental health. We talk about all kinds of things. We have guests from artists from all over the all over the world, all over the place, writers, performers, comedians. And we talk about mental health, but we also practice skills because mental health is a practice. I haven't practiced anything enough to be really good at it. But when it comes to mental health, I don't even know what anybody's talking about. <laughs> so I don't even know what it is. I don't even have a baseline. We know what physical fitness is. We don't know what emotional fitness is. I hear the terms resilience. I've heard of it. You know, I don't practice it enough. So today, that's what we're going to do. And we're also very lucky to have a terrific guest. Now, this person I didn't know, and I was on a show with her. Her material, her jokes, she's a terrific comedian, but but other th- a writer too, and a director, and an actress. But the jokes like made me actually sit up in my chair and I haven't sat up since my bar mitzvah. So this was a new thing. When I hear a comic who has like particularly good material, I I do sit up and I, I don't forget them. So I immediately uh, called her, reached out and, and tried to see if she could come on the show and lucky enough she can. So today with us is writer, director, actress, and comedian, Avital Ash. And she's going to join us shortly. On today's show, I thought that we could talk a little bit about the phrase, give me a minute. Because a lot of times, the choices that you make about how you relate to your thoughts and feelings require a pause. The phrase, give me a minute, is like a great thing for me to have. I'm not one of those people who takes time to figure out what they're thinking or feeling. And therefore, I have a lot of trouble knowing what I'm thinking or feeling. So... I'll get back to you later. Please give me a minute. But we're going to talk about skills that we can use in a minute. One minute that you can use to take care of yourself. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about, uh, I, think we, I think we need to talk about sadness and loneliness a little bit. I always like to perk you up if you're listening and bring you in with sadness and loneliness, which is a public health issue, which I heard the Surgeon General talk about. You know, when the Surgeon General of the United States says that loneliness is a public health issue, it's time to pay attention. And then the other thing that I didn't realize is that two-thirds of gun-related deaths every year are caused by suicide. Did you know that? So wherever you are, pull over your car, start weeping, put on an airbag, and let's get into it. That's what we're going to do. We always like to welcome people no matter what emotional state they're in. So here now are emotional shout-outs. If you need a post-COVID cheat sheet that tells you how to relate to other people, welcome. If you're afraid to disappoint your virtual Peloton instructors, welcome. If you lost your sixth sense and not really sure where your third, fourth, or fifth senses are, welcome. If you believe you should be able to eat comfort foods like mac and cheese and oatmeal during your therapy sessions, welcome. If the song, I'm a Little Teapot, causes you to experience trauma, welcome. If you identify as an ordinary neurotic person with self-esteem issues, welcome. If you enjoy playing hide-and-go-eat with your loved ones, welcome. 
And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Today's sponsor is You Walkie Talkie. You Walkie Talkie is a new app that lets you learn how to walk and talk with others. Now that we're re-entering the world, many people have forgotten how to walk and talk to each other. Enter You Walkie Talkie. You Walkie Talkie is a Peloton for personal communication. While walking and having your steps counted, You Walkie Talkie has fun and engaging communication exercises where you can practice connecting with others and even collect rewards points. Simulate conversations while in a market, at the mall, in a lobby, resenting others, trying to figure out how to talk to people, talking about travel, whatever it is, trainers are on call to teach conversation starters. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, we've all been through P-S-P-T-T-P-T-S-D. I wish I'd have said that better. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, we've all been through P-T-S-D. There it is. You walkie-talkie, taking the tick out of talk. All right, now here we go. I want to bring in the high priestess of the hippocampus. I want to bring in the sultan of serotonin. I I want to bring in the lord of the limbic system. I want to bring in Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer, how are you? I'm good, Ed. Thank you. It just, there's new handles every week. The Lord of the Limbic System, I kind of like. (laughs) That's good. Yeah, I kind of like that one. There's a couple things, okay? Uh, You know, what can you do in a minute? I thought that maybe we could give people some interventions because the phrase, give me a minute, is really pertinent to to mental health. It is. Yeah. And we talk about it all the time, right? Just taking that pause and observing. It's so important because then you're responding to your world instead of reacting. So what can you do in a minute? Let me give you some scenarios. Okay. Uh, you know, I'll just say it and, and you can tell me, okay, somebody else got a big job on television. I'm comparing myself to them and I feel like shit. Okay. So here's what you do. Now we're assuming that you're by yourself. I'm by myself. Okay, because that's important. That changes the techniques. So if you're by yourself, first thing I would do, honestly, I would literally put the palm of your hand right over your heart, skin to skin. I would really kind of take your awareness to your heart and literally say out loud, this is what it feels like to be disappointed, to see somebody else get what I wanted. This is what it feels like to wish that were me. This is a really human response. Like literally go into it let yourself feel it. Let yourself feel the sadness of it. Stay with it long enough. And I'm telling you what will start to happen is it will start to alchemize. We so often run from our emotions and we blame the person. Why did they get it? And how come this? And you know, that never happens to me. And we, or we run away and we drink something or smoke something or do something. Um, But really turning around and going directly into the feeling and you can actually feel it. You find like the the epicenter of it. You can actually find it in your chest and then you just stay there and you just focus your energy and then you send it a little bit of love. I love you for looking out for me. I love you for coming out swinging and being mad that I didn't get this thing. I love that you're always there for me, anxiety or anger or whatever it is, and then let it go. And it will honestly, in a minute, you will be able to let that alchemize and dissipate. It's, you're literally metabolizing it. It really works. It takes a little bit of practice, but it really works. Okay, so last night I'm sitting there and I don't know if this ever happened to you, but from nowhere, it's seemingly from nowhere, 
I got this wave of sadness and loneliness. Mm-hmm. Just like, and I haven't experienced it in a while because I've been too busy panicking about <laughs> other things. So I haven't had time for the sadness. But let's say something like that comes up. Is that like a wave? Yeah, it's just like a wave. First of all, I would do the same thing that I just said, because when you have those waves, you need to acknowledge them. And we're not very good at reading and feeling our emotions. We're great at running away from them or blaming other people for them. But actually feeling them is the most important thing. It's just information. Your body just wants to, it just, it won't stop until you've registered it. If there's a little bit of angst and anxiety that goes with this, this is, this is a really interesting technique and it doesn't take very long, but it's weird. Okay. Okay. Weird is good. Okay, it is weird. So you're basically going to put your finger in your belly button. This has to do with the vagus nerve. And you're just going to tug your belly button up a little bit. Just pull it up towards your heart. Don't hurt yourself, but just like a little tug. And then you're going to put your hand or your fingers on the center of your forehead, just where your third eye is. And you're basically closing the circuit. This has to do with the vagus nerve, the polyvagal nerve in the body. So you're going to pull that up. You're going to press your fingers in the middle of your forehead and you're just going to breathe in a little bit, just a little breath in. And then you're going to do a huge sigh breath out. (sighs) Like you've just found your phone or some terrible news just got turned into good news. Right. Okay. Do that one more time. Okay. Then let go. And then let me know how you feel. Do you feel that? A little bit better. A little bit different. A little little bit bit different. different. You just start to feel a little relaxed, a little more clear-headed. Something just shifts. That nerve that runs through the center of your body is always on guard for danger. It is always taking you back to the safety and security system in your body. And when you're doing that breathing out, I call that sigh breathing. So basically when, you know, we're all taught, take a deep breath when you're anxious, right? But that's really not the best thing to do. You take a deep breath when you're panicked, like, (gasps) right? And you need that energy to run or fight. You actually take a little breath in and a huge breath out, which sends a signal to the brain, oh, danger has passed, right? So the, but actually when you're connecting your belly button and your, and your hand is on your forehead, you're actually closing a circuit. The body is bioelectric and you're literally calming yourself down. And you'll probably feel it for a minute or two after you do that. Are you feeling it even more now? Yeah. You, you settle a little bit. Yeah. Very simple. Now, that's why I asked, are you alone? Because that looks incredibly weird if you're at the dinner table. So that's probably something you want to do in the privacy of your own space. But that's a really simple technique that can work very quickly and very well. Well, if you're having lunch with somebody, you can just say, and you want to be honest with people, you can say, I have to, I have to excuse myself just for a minute. I'm going to put my finger in my belly button. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want you to worry about me, but I, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. I don't want to do it in front of you. No, but I, 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 but, but this kind of stuff, I mean, look, the main thing is that you're creating a pause. You're creating a little bit of space for the messages that your feelings and thoughts are sending you. You're creating a little bit of space for how you're relating to what's going on inside you. So no matter what you do, this is always a good thing. Okay, one, one final one, and then we'll bring Avital in. I am going to be traveling soon and i am panic stricken about it and i don't know why um i mean i do know why but i i have anticipatory anxiety about all of this so there's a couple things you can do i mean tapping we've talked about on the show before 
Tapping's brilliant. And again, if you're by yourself, you can actually do the whole routine. If you're in public, then you can just pick the different tapping points and we can maybe put some show notes about where to find uh, information on how to tap, but you can just pulse the nerves on your hand and the top of your head. So it just kind of looks like you have a headache and you're just massaging your head. Um, That can work really well. Imagining yourself, this is a really fast one. Imagine yourself like either after you've landed or if you're going on a plane or something, imagine yourself a half an hour into the trip and it's over. Like the anticipation of it happening is behind you. You're now comfortably sitting on the plane watching your movie or you've landed. Imagine yourself um, already through the situation that you're stressed about. And that can actually really help. And really try to resonate with the part of you that would be so happy when it's over. And that can sometimes trick your brain. And then another really quick one is, is rehearse it. Like imagine in your head going there and, and it going fairly well. And, oh, that wasn't so bad. And that was okay. Sometimes the brain just likes familiar things. And it thinks is if you've practiced it enough times that you're ready to go. And, and you know, just controlling your breathing and just sort of relaxing your tongue in the bottom of your mouth. That's one of my favorite techniques. Just let your tongue go soft on your bottom teeth. And as soon as you do that, your stomach will let go and you'll you'll be able to think instead of react. This is all really useful stuff. It's really useful stuff. It's all practical stuff. It's all stuff that you can do in the moment or you can do to prepare. And years ago, this is pretty strange, but years ago I did a comedy sketch. It was on a show and it was with a guy who was terrified of flying. And so in his living room, we shot something where we had people play stewardesses and stewards and we sat on his couch like we were sitting on a plane. And as we're trying to help him, I played a guy who was very upset that there was no cran apple on the flight. <laughs> but that said, we did rehearse it. And as silly as it sounds, rehearse, you can rehearse anything in life. Mm-hmm. You really can. And it's always better, just like a show or like if you're a performer, it's always better to rehearse something. I mean, it always is. This is what we're talking about. I guess you call it cognitive rehearsal, right? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, your understanding of something has to do with how you practice it. Absolutely. Well, remember, your your midbrain does not know the difference between you imagining it, remembering it, and being in it. So if you can rehearse it, it thinks, oh, I've done that already. It's not so scary. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to bring in our guest. Like I said, I... I just heard some of her material and I was just, I I, I sat up because I thought it was so good. And uh, so I reached out. Now she is an actress. She's a director. She's a writer and she's a comedian. She has done a number of web series that have gone on to be developed for pilots for TV. But I also watched one of them, which is called Anti-Social Distance, And it's really interesting. I loved it. And we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about everything. And that's Avital Ash. And Avital, first of all, how are you? Oh, my gosh. What a lovely intro. I can't believe you watched Antisocial Distance. I didn't even know. (laughs) And not only is everything that you're saying so helpful and useful, I was taking notes. And I'm like, I have to just listen back because I can't write fast enough. But also, both of your voices are so soothing. Well, thank you. You're doing something really special. And I'm... Very happy to be here. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. That's part of it is because I'm on drugs. No, I'm not ah. really on. I'm not really on drugs, but I, I kind of wish I were. I wish I were one of those people who could 
you know, have these gummies that you take mm -hmm. and just chew them. And then I feel really relaxed. It doesn't work that way for Man, me. You're not going to need that. Just use the techniques. Right? That's right. Now right? you don't need it. Now no. just grab you your belly button and you're good. I'm grabbing my, I have a tow truck to my, my insides. That's what, what I'm saying. Pharmaceuticals. Are you on any prescription drugs? Am I jumping? They don't market? work. They don't. Yeah. It's like, and, and the, and the problem for me I don't know about you, but the pro we'll ask. The problem for me is that in shifting medication, like if I change anything, I have really severe reactions. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to do it. And yet I don't know what it's probably not doing anything for me at this point. Pez would do as much. <laughs> Can I ask, do you take anything? And what are some yes. of your favorite medications? Now I'm like, my brain is going in six different directions, but I love the intros so much, like the high priestess of hippocampus. And then I was like, I, I want to be like Morrissey before we found out that he was racist and, and be like the Pope of Mope, you know, I feel like that's where I am. So I've been medicated forever. I, um, I was put on Wellbutrin when I was 11. First, I took Zoloft, I got really bad stomach aches. And then I was on Wellbutrin from like 11 to almost 30, basically. And then I, this is a really interesting thing about shifting the, my psychiatrist recommended something called, um, a plensin, which she basically said is like an well butrin, but with an updated delivery system. And because it was newer, they couldn't replace it with the generic. So, you know, the, that insurance is forced to cover the name brand basically, but it was supposed to be like, well, butrin exactly, but just slightly more effective. And I started having suicidal ideation and panic attacks. Mm -hmm. And for whatever yeah. reason, she didn't realize and I didn't realize that it was the medication. And I have one friend who's like a very well-versed hypochondriac. Everyone should have one in their life. And she yeah. was like, you need to get off of this medication. It's funny, yeah. my partner didn't connect it. My doctor, like she just gave me, she just prescribed stuff for panic attacks. Yeah. was not connecting that it was, because it was essentially the same, I was told anyway, the same medication that I'd been on since I was 11. And then my my hypochondriac friend slash like a I guess my de facto doctor was like you should be on like a more typical SSRI and now I'm on a pretty low dose of Prozac. It's amazing the things that you just ran through because I I was on a medication many many years ago and I got gout from it. Wow! Oh my gosh! And sure enough, one percent of the people who take this do get gout. Oh my gosh! So what was it? Can I ask? It was called Celexa. Yeah, I'm I'm aware of its existence. It, it's amazing for people who, who are taking any kind of medication out there. They're all going, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Listen to that. They're talking about me now. Yeah, you know, I have to go to this because you have on your website. I, I never want to read anything that anybody's like written about themselves, but I almost like have to read this because it's so it's so evocative and it's so real that I almost have to read it. And if it's okay with your permission, I'm going to. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I am going okay. to read some of it, okay? okay this sure. is your bio. This is your bio that you put on your website. <laughs> I moved to LA without friends, family, or a clue and directed myself in a feature that doubled as an effort to heal from my biological mom's suicide. Spoiler alert, I didn't. <laughs> I'm yeah. on a lifelong mission to untangle my shit, depression, addiction, religion, internalized misogyny, shame, ADHD, my queerness, and my delightful personality that has somehow alienated lots of people. It's fun. 
<laughs> it's really one of the best things I've ever seen because, wow. but the, but the mixture of stuff is amazing. Now, now I'm going to take you to you. You have a joke about being an infant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you, will you just say it? Just say the line of what it is. <laughs> I say that, uh, my, my biological mom committed suicide when I was a baby, which I know sounds sad, but I was a really bad baby. And um, <laughs> sometimes people laugh and sometimes they get really uncomfortable or maybe it's, maybe it's a mixture. I loved it. I sat up on that one because again, here you are, you're a comic and you're taking this experience and you're, you're, you're doing it in a joke and it's, it's just, it's, it's very dark. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's great. It's really great to me. Thanks. So tell me if you can about that like where are you with this and how do you process that well you know it's it's always so many things folded into each other so it's hard to separate what exactly is what but there is you know we we talked a little about a bit about how i grew up orthodox jewish as well and like there's a lot of a lot of shame there and a lot of misogyny and like like I, I just met a stand-up who was like, oh my, a woman who was like, oh my wife's a rabbi, and like just that idea of like a woman rabbi and a gay woman rabbi, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not crazy living in LA, but it's crazy compared to like how I was brought up, where like you know women couldn't be rabbis, women couldn't like even um, the way that the Kabbalah is available now, like it it was the the way that I learned about it in the Torah is like you have to be male, you have to be I think over forty, and you have to have studied like all of these other books before you can do the Kabbalah. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so it all kind of bleeds together because I mean, there was a lot of secrecy. Like I, my dad remarried when I was a baby. So I grew up with a mom and I didn't know that there had been this other mother in the picture and you know, it's like a gradual unraveling of things. So it's, there's a lot about like, I also have three brothers. So I was like the only girl and, and there's that sense of feeling like an outsider. And it's like, is that because I have this different maternal DNA or is that because I was the only girl or is that because of like the, you know, the complicated dynamic uh, with my dad of like being a reminder of a pre, you know, there's just so many things. So for simplification, you know, or at least for the purpose of that joke, it's like, I can talk about the suicide as an isolated thing, but it's, it's all of it. Right. It's like not knowing that, like finding out from the neighbors that you're half adopted and then like slowly piecing together that it was a fall or a jump or a push, like, was it a suicide? So I don't know that there's an easy answer. And I think I'll always be, you know, reckoning with the past in some way, but I, but I did start EMDR recently. So when you guys were talking about tapping, I'm like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I've got to go back and listen to some episodes. And and my therapist just gave me a a book called tapping in that I'm excited to dive Mm -hmm. into. And I'm reading the body keeps the score. and, And I'm finally, I think, taking those things seriously in terms of healing. And and I mean, maybe this is a crazy other conversation to get into, but I have had an abundance of physical symptoms. And, and like when I started to feel better in terms of depression and, and actually got off my meds for a while and was feeling really good, I maybe six months later got super sick and then like couldn't function, horrible fatigue. Um, and then that was so depressing that I had to get back on meds. And so I'm finally exploring, you know, the possibility that I, I hated all of the doctors. I would be like, it's just in your head. And it's like, well, I'm already on antidepressants. What do you want me to do about it? Just being in my head. But, but the way that the, the things feed each other. And yeah. I did just start taking a new medication that I am 
really excited about, and and I wonder if you have any thoughts on this, Jennifer, which is low dose naltrexone. In higher mm-hmm. doses, it's used for you know people who battle addiction and and like mm-hmm. to help prevent relapses, but it helps fight inflammation, which you know causes mm-hmm. so much that can go wrong. It also is prescribed for um, medication resistant depression, or in mm-hmm. my case, for fatigue. And it's been like life-changing. Good. That's good. Well, and I, I know we were sort of saying at the beginning, I was teasing out about, you doesn't have to take anything, but the truth is there's a huge role for uh, supportive medication. And mm-hmm. I sort of look at it like, you know, if somebody's taking swimming lessons, right, you wouldn't just shove them in the deep end and go, okay, swim, you know, right. move your, pick your feet, move your, you need, you need like air, you need a noodle, you need something to keep you above water. And, and that's really important. And medication sometimes just gives you that little bit of air, but you need the medication and strategies, right. Yes. And support and therapy and family. And yes. that part's really important. And then the other thing too, that's, that's, I think key. And, and as I, you know, my, my work with clients and kids and teens is really showing me that, you know, feelings are there to be felt. And so it's okay to take medication, but you also have to learn how to how to lean in and experience your feelings because, because eventually it's information and it'll just build behind whatever it is that you're taking, right? So, so when you describe like suddenly becoming physically ill, your body goes, well, she didn't listen this way. So, all right, <laughs> let's mm-hmm. try this way. And it, it yeah. literally converted it into physical symptoms and it's okay. Maybe she'll listen now. Right. 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 So our body is very intelligent. It's always talking to us. It's just really scary sometimes to face those things and all the things you faced as a, as a young person is really complex. And I was actually thinking with first of all, how, how did you find out about your mother? How did you find out? This I think is fascinating just in terms of how our brains work, because I remember being home from school because I was sick and my mom took me out to lunch um, and said, I'm not your real mother. And I like, remember all the questions I asked. Like, I remember, I think I was somewhere between five and seven. Mm -hmm. And I even remember like, you know, the, the, I ordered mashed potatoes and the server came back and said that they were out and I started crying because of everything else, you know, it like played like a scene out of curve or something Mm -hmm. in my head where Mm -hmm. then the, the waiter's like, let me go see what I can do. I don't know if that really happened, but that's how I remember it. But what actually happened is the day before we had a neighbor, with a daughter my age and one of her grandparents died and her parents were sitting Shiva. And I like went over to go visit and somebody said like, Oh, who's this little girl? And her father said, this is Toby Ash's daughter, but you know, not her real daughter from Howard's first marriage. And I came home. I don't remember any of this, even though I remember yeah. the next day so well. And I remember even telling somebody the story and I was like, that's weird that I was homesick. We well, probably didn't process that part. Like that made no sense to you. Yeah. Right. right. And then the next day on the way to school, uh, I said, are you my real mom? And she said, we're not going to school today. And she took me to lunch, which I only know that that happened because, you know, years later I mentioned something about it and she was like, that's not what happened. <laughs> so I think she had to like call, like, where did you hear that? You know, and then sort of called oh. the neighbor and pieced it together. But I have no memory of that part. This is amazing. This wow. this whole story is amazing and that you had to piece it together and figure it out and how you, you know, how you taken care of yourself and learned about yourself. It's very, and all in the midst of a Hasidic (laughs) upbringing, which is like, this is like wilder than the movie A Stranger Among Us, which is not in a good way. So I wonder, you know, I'm going to ask a very weird question here. What role, or if any, does spirituality play in 
your life and and in your healing because you didn't grow up with you know kind of a healing <laughs> presence although i will say that kabbalah is actually where all the great stuff from judaism comes from all mm-hmm. the mysticism in the world is in the kabbalah mm-hmm. which you're yeah. not allowed to see <laughs> right i'm i love that question and i don't have an answer. I think I'm more recently embracing that I that I do need some sort of spiritual component. And like, I think I've hit spiritual bottoms before, but, but it's bizarre, because most of my upbringing was not spiritual. It was much more about like rules. And mm-hmm. I did actually another friend's podcast on on cults. And she was like, Oh, it seems like everybody in that world would have OCD. And it was the first time that I was like, Oh, yeah, it's all about these like, little rituals and obsessive rules. And you know, it's like, um, you, you don't pass the salt to somebody because I'm, maybe you already know all this, Ed, but like you're not allowed to touch a woman when she's on her period or a man can't touch a woman when she's on her period. But then you don't want to embarrass anybody by like letting them know that she's on her period because you, you so you can't even hand. Sorry, I'm all over. But like you can't even hand you, Ed, cannot hand either of us the salt on our period so you just because you might accidentally touch our hands yeah. and so then you just don't ever pass the salt because somebody might so you like set it on the table in front of somebody so that nobody can extrapolate and go like oh avital or jennifer are on her period and that's why right. you know so like all these weird little rules that then lead to like much bigger rules i don't know that that's even the best example but but it felt like it was just much more about how you do things versus like what you're connecting yeah. to or yeah yeah, why we, I mean, in a way there's something beautiful about that, that it's like, you don't want to embarrass someone, but also like menstruation doesn't have to be this like mortifying thing. Instead, the religion could be like, that's a beautiful thing that we celebrate. Anyway, I'm all over the place. The, the point is that I don't think I really have a bunch of spiritual tools and I would like to develop them. Well, Jennifer, uh, can you speak to this thing about rules and mm-hmm. rituals? And uh, do you experience any of this in your practice where people maybe grew up in a kind of a, a more of a strict yeah definitely i mean it, it's anytime you are and they're like little micro rules and then you have to remember them all the time and it just mm-hmm. they sort of dominate your whole psyche and i think there's comfort in rituals there's comfort in not having to ask questions mm-hmm. there's comfort in just knowing that there's a prayer for everything <laughs> there's a right. there's something you do about everything and some people really love that life and love to not have to think too much and it's all thought for them and then there's other people that are like, what? I'm in jail. I'm in prison. I, I'm, I feel like I'm outside of my body. I can't, I can't do this, you know, and then it's layered with disappointing people and leaving the community. And it's just, it's very, very complex. And it really comes down to what, if people can be their true self and, and there are people that's lovely for them and they're very happy that way. And it's beautiful. And there's others that just really struggle, but yeah, whenever the brain is lit up into making tiny, tiny micro decisions like that, it's so funny because I actually had a paper on Orthodox Judaism and OCD. And like, wow, so funny that that's coming up. I've forgotten that I even did that. I didn't know that that was a thing until specifically this podcast <laughs> host asked. And I was like, oh, what an interesting <laughs> question. But it, it, listen, wow. it's, it's, it's something that's in all of our wiring, really. And it's certainly, and there's different reasons for it. It's to keep communities safe. It's to keep things clean and safe and healthy. But it just, you can just sort of, fractalize that into making smaller and smaller decisions. So you're overwhelmed, right? Mm -hmm. And and in every community, you can have people that have OCD, of course, but it's a part of the brain that just lights up and just overdoes the job. It's a, it's a part of anxiety that just kind of overdoes itself trying to keep you safe. So 
There are certain things where I like, I remember because I've, I also have terrible vision and I've been in, you know, contacts and or glasses since I was like seven, I think. And I remember learning that the eye doctor told me to always like to pick one eye and always do that eye first, like put in my contact in my right eye and then my left eye. And it seems silly, but I think it actually helps because it just is like another decision I don't have to make, yep. even though it's such a tiny decision, yep. you know, it's made for me. Yep. And, and ch- I mean, children in general love rules. That's why they tend to behave better in school than they do at home, right? <laughs> there's, there's comfort and safety when you don't have to make too many decisions. But we're mm-hmm. kind of, human beings are always struggling between freedom and sovereignty and safety and security. Like we're always just flipping mm-hmm. between those two things and it makes things really complicated at times. But, you know, the brain is is an amazingly wonderful thing, but it can it can love you so much that it it turns on you, essentially. Yeah. Right. Like you were saying, if you keep ignoring it, then it comes out in your body. It's like, I'm going to make you listen one way or the other. But but I don't I, we're not speaking the same language, my body and I. So I'm like, yeah. I, I'm not getting that this is what you need me to do you know, till eight years later, you're starting to get it right. Well, it's Um, been like eight years of feeling pretty physically bad. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a long time, but it's a long time. You know, you start to, once you, once you do realize those things, it's like all of a sudden, all of a sudden there's a whole other world that, that, that you're connected to. Well, and it's, I mean, it's not your fault. This is, this is most cultures are like this. Don't feel your feelings, buy something, smoke something, <laughs> right, be quiet. Right. it's someone else's fault, blame someone else. I mean, he, human emotions uh, as, as, as well as, you know, physical pain is just information mm-hmm. and it's information that needs to be listened to. And if you ignore it, it just, it gets louder and it just keeps coming at you until you finally listen. So my whole thing with connected parenting is how to raise our kids to understand that the human body is basically a giant virtual reality suit. Okay. You're basically <laughs> using it to interpret vibration literally on a quantum level. Like you're just taking vibration and you're turning it into sound, sight, touch, taste, feel, mm-hmm. and learning that your body talks to you all the time, but we've all been raised no matter what your background, we've been raised to ignore it, yeah, to not listen to it. And, and parents all the time are telling kids what they should be feeling. I'm hungry. No, you're not. You just ate. Okay. Well, that's right. weird. Actually thought I was hungry. So yeah. it's raising kids in a way that they can actually learn to tune into their own emotional intelligence and their body's way of speaking to them, tuning into their own integrity, making decisions because it, it makes them feel stronger, not weaker. Mm-hmm. And my dream is to just raise a whole bunch of humans like that. And we'll hopefully be much nicer people to each other. And healthier probably too. Mm-hmm. And and I also want to be clear that it's not like I think, oh, it was all in my head. I don't think that's the case at all. But I, I think when you don't address things, you do start to store it in the body. So it's not in my head. It's just that, you know, not, and, and there were some things that were definitely like, I had a therapist who, who I, I had this issue where I kept having to cover an eye because it felt like everything would get like, I would get a headache and I would start to have double vision. And he would, he was really adamant about like, well, what you're stressed out to be here. And that's why you're, and I'm like, I, this is nothing to do with you. This is happening every day of my life. This is a nightmare. And he kept like insisting that it was, there was some emotional cause and I, I needed a couple of surgeries and it went away, yeah, <laughs> you know, well, like I don't think yeah. it was an emotional thing at all. And sometimes it is purely physical. Yeah. Sometimes it's purely, it's just physical, like you say. And then sometimes it's stored emotion. Mm-hmm. where you're carrying around these emotions inside your body yeah, and walking around with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even Sigmund Freud says sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Right. <laughs> right. So, right. Yeah. 
It just is. And yeah. he was a million laughs, by the way. If you had tea with him, you would just laugh your head off. Nobody understood. Some of the, you know, it would be interesting to go back in time and actually meet these people because yeah. my, my guess is that a lot of what they said was misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. You know, like Jesus would have been interesting to sit down with. I bet. Yeah. But I, all these, Moses too, all these people. Abe Lincoln was supposed to have been very funny. Yes. Daniel Day-Lewis, <laughs> not a funny man. <laughs> But Abraham Lincoln's funny. And funny. look at the mental health and his look at his wife and his world. And then they're finding out that, you know, not finding out, but but just building these facts about these these theories about people. They're not facts, mm-hmm. but that people who like Galileo and Copernicus and all these people actually were on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. That's the reason why they were able to channel into these incredible intellectual feats. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Fascinating. Also, I feel like I'm not being very funny on this podcast. I'm being so earnest. I'm almost. No, it's wonderful. This is what we do for. Don't worry. It's it's great. You know, this stuff people don't talk about enough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so especially comedians. And so so it's really it's really kind of interesting. But but that's why I go back to your you have jokes, but the Mm -hmm. jokes in a comics act are connected to something. Oh, yeah. Something they're connected to. So you made, I mean, you're dealing with your 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 mom's suicide, but you made, you wrote a joke about it. I got a lot of jokes about it and about, you know, being assaulted. And I think those are like the most satisfying jokes to craft because you're like, how do I make this funny? And when you can't have it, it. Yeah. How, yeah. 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 And then it's such but, a good feeling. I think most comics love the like getting the laughs. And for me, it's like when I find the in that's funny. I think there's a level of healing there. And so it just feels so good when you're like, oh, this thing that's really awful that happened. This is how I can make it funny. Ed, you always say that. Then this is why we do the show is because through comedy, there is through laughter, there is healing, right? And there's some, and in order to laugh, we all have to see something central in it. It has to speak mm-hmm. to all of us. So, you know, Avital, I was just thinking about, so you were talking about your biological mom and how you found out and everything. And, and what might be really interesting to, for you to know too is that the the human brain doesn't have hardware in it to, to store long-term memories until about the age of six or seven, which is actually right around the time that you found mm-hmm. this news out. Prior yeah. to that, everything is kind of... Uh, it's like an emotional tattoo. Your body remembers it, which is so interesting. Yeah. And that's probably why, you know, that one day when they, that sort of offhandedly mentioned that that's not really your mother, you didn't, you had no way to organize that. So it didn't get filed. But the next day when you heard the news, you remembered the mashed potatoes mm-hmm. because the things that we actually remember around the age of six or seven are usually things that were fairly intense or traumatic. But the thing to know about your biological mother too, is that whatever she was going through, anxiety and cortisol passes through the placenta. Mm. So a lot of the things that you carry and, and the stress that your body carries isn't even yours. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What a crazy, I mean, I, I figured I was just sensitive to whatever was happening around, which is like, you know, the disappearance of a, a mother figure. And, and as I got older thinking about, you know, learning that she was bipolar and, and yeah. I thought about like, she had postpartum depression. And so there was like, I, I don't feel that way so much now, but a sense of guilt, like I did something, even though I didn't ask yeah. to be born, but yeah. I didn't think about like, yeah, I didn't know that placenta, like there, there's a literal... Yeah, the and that yeah, the stress that she would have been feeling would have been pumped into your body. So you were your body was primed to just be super 
anxious. And you're, <laughs> and also because Ed, we say this all the time on the show, you know, comedians are sharp, like they're smart and they, they have a brain that overthinks mm-hmm. and fractalizes and breaks things into smaller and smaller pieces, which is what makes you make amazing jokes and makes you find that one thing in that perfect way that makes everyone laugh. But it also like the shadow of that can be pretty hard to deal deal with. Like it's not so fun to have a brain that <laughs> overthinks, right? No. The other thing that I think I think is really interesting too is that a lot of stress and anxiety that we carry is intergenerational. So they've, you know, they did studies with rats where they gave them like cherry water and then they gave them a little, this is so mean, but they gave them a shock when they drank the cherry water. Mm-hmm. And then the offspring of those rats who were separated from the mother, who never saw the mother were put in the cage and they also would go nowhere near the water because of the wow. shock. Third generation rats also would not, it was not until the fourth generation. Wow. And they've done story, they've done studies with Holocaust survivors that it, it's the same with human beings, that some of the stuff that we carry around belongs to our grandparents and our great grandparents. Well, it was called the Krasnick experiments. Those rats uh, <laughs> really? were actually relatives of mine. Uh, because if you look at, at like family pictures, what you're looking at is a who's who of despair. Yeah, uh, right. It is a who's who. And, and I once went to a show. This is a silly story, but I once went to a shaman. Because that tells you the kind of person. They call me the seeker. I've been searching low and high, just like the Who song. So I once went to a shaman, and her and she had a business card called the Malibu Shaman, right? So I go to her, and she says, your ancestors absolutely love you, and they are killing you. Oh. <laughs> and it's like they want to be with you so much that they're choking the life out of you. Wow. You know, this stuff is, it sounds crazy, and it sounds silly, but all of these things are passed on. Emotions are passed on and physical stuff is passed on. If you're a highly sensitive person, which I'm sure you are, mm-hmm. and, and you are, I'm sure I am too, you're all, mm-hmm. you're actually also feeling everything else everyone else is feeling. Like right. you can walk into a room and suddenly you're getting like, you know, information and feelings and picking up on stuff that doesn't even have anything right. to do with you and you still feel it. My mom always said that about me that I, you know, I would come into the kitchen and be like, are you mad at me? And that yeah. how a lot of the time she wasn't, but she was upset about something else and, you know, wouldn't tell me, but just, yeah. And it's interesting that thing about epigenetics and, and like, um, cause I, my biological parents did not come from Holocaust survivors, but my, my mom who adopted me, her parents are both Holocaust survivors. So I don't have that, I think, genetically, but it's still such a part of my, I mean, I have nightmares about the Holocaust. Of course. Um, and they're like, they're awful. They're debilitating. Yeah. I've, I'm not a candidate for LASIK, but one of the reasons I really wanted it is because like in my nightmares, like the things I always have to grab are like my dog and my contact lenses because the Nazis are obviously going to stump on my glasses and then I'm not going to be able to see. And I'm like, I would just like to remove that step from my routine, you know, where like I can flee from the Nazis and not worry about having to see. See, And that's just generational trauma. That is ancestral generational trauma. And it lives in the body along with everything, when everything else that we accumulate in our lives. But the, the flip side to this which is how we started the podcast is there are little things that you can do every day in addition to, you know, any medication that you're taking that can slowly strengthen your body and strengthen mm-hmm. your uh, emotional resilience, give you those emotional shock absorbers 
So, and that, that's why we do the show. It's literally Amazing. just tools, 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 which nobody ever talks about. No, even I think, you know, when I, when I was put on medication, I think even that was taboo, especially in the Orthodox community, but anywhere, but I didn't do therapy. I went straight to a psychiatrist. There was no talking about Mm. it or like getting to the bottom of it. It was just medicating, which, you know, then as an adult, I did the same thing with weed and alcohol and just trying to numb it. Yep. Yep. Well, we were going to call the show tools, 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 but (laughs) I thought, no, no, but uh, but I'll tell you, you know, we're here, we're here to connect, and the, you know, th- th- that's the thing about, you know, the Orthodox community or Hasidim is is there is an aspect to it that's it's community, mm-hmm. and and the kind of community may may not, you know, it may be the rules. I, I, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it was a very challenging thing, but there is something to community. Yeah. Absolutely. And figuring it out and and all helping each other, because when it comes to mental health, we're all children. No one really understands a lot anything. Yeah. And we're all we're all at the beginning here, not at the end. We're at the beginning and we we can help each other and we can heal and we can thrive. I mean, I really I really believe that no matter what happened in the past. Yeah, it is possible to thrive. It is. Mm -hmm. And rewire. Like a a lot of the tools we talk about are literally, if you do them regularly as part of a routine, you'll start to rewire your own brain. You can be the architect of your own brain. I'm going to go back and listen to all these episodes. They call me the architect, uh, (laughs) but it's not in a good way. Um, You're the architect. I'm the architect. Yeah. But listen, this is, we're going to have another conversation. There's just too much to oh, talk about. Oh, I back. So, so I you're going to come back. This is wonderful. You guys are doing good work. Next time you come back, we're going to talk about film. I would love that. And we're going to talk about film as a, as a means of healing. It's very interesting, you know, the role the film plays in your life when you're not aware of a lot of things, but you gravitate towards certain directors right. or well, actors or yeah. storytellers. Yeah. Or you watched antisocial distance. There was a lot that I didn't know I was unpacking as I was making that. That's that I clearly was, you know. And that's our next show. We're going to talk about that because uh, some very real conversations and tell people, Avital, before we wrap up, tell them where they can find your shows and where they can find out more about you. Yes, please go to antisocialdistance.com. They're they're usually short episodes. Some of them are longer, like seven to nine minutes. Some of them are like 30 seconds to a minute, but they are meant to be watched in order. For some reason, I think because they're fun and there's like an exciting cast, you know, like Steven Weber's in it and Rose McIver and... Utkarsh and Budkar and people are like, oh, I'll just like click around and see. But but they really are meant to be watched in order. And there's like a, a real narrative arc to it. There's also youtube.com slash antisocial distance. So you can like leave comments, which we love. We've been getting a lot of people sort of like live commenting as they go. And that's wonderful. And then I'm on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok where my standup has gone viral. That's fun. At Avital Ash. Awesome. Wow, that's really Thank cool. Yeah. Well, I can understand why. I mean, your, your standup is really good. That's it's so it's- nice. Yeah, it's great material, and and you present it in a really interesting way, in a very honest way. So it's it's kind of, it's interesting to see somebody just being real with some really funny, dark material. It's very interesting. I loved in the beginning when you guys were talking about you know what happens when you see someone get 
get a, a film job that you wanted and you feel jealous and bad. And Jennifer, you were saying like, you know, pay attention to the feeling and say like, mm-hmm. this is what it feels like to see someone else get what I wanted. But mm-hmm. how do I get what I want? <laughs> <laughs> this is a good question. This may be, this could also be the topic of our next question. Because honestly, yeah. we, truly by, by, how can I, by imagineering it, I'm not joking, by seeing it happening, by believing that it's happening, by creating a story in your head that it's happening instead of not happening. As human beings, we spend so much time thinking about what we don't have instead of thinking about what we do have. And when you think about what you do have and you think about what is working in your life, you attract more things that work. It literally works that way biochemically. Okay. And if you're okay. constantly <laughs> resonating with what you don't have, guess what shows up in your life? More mm. shit you don't have. Right. But actually feeling it, that's the other thing. It's not just thinking about it. It's taking a minute and actually experiencing what that feeling is. And if you don't know what that would feel like, then you think about something that you do have a very happy feeling about. Mm-hmm. And you, you have that feeling. And, and the, worst thing, the worst thing that can happen, the worst side benefit of this practice you is feel that you feel, good, you feel good in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. And thinking about already where, what has already happened in your life where you did get what you wanted and focus on that. It sounds so simple, but it works. I asked it kind of as a joke, like rather than deal with the feelings, (laughs) (laughs) losing, how do I just fucking win for once? But you know what? That is really helpful. That's the beauty of the show, Tools, 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 because we we have a thing. We have a toolbox. We're going to have sound effects. An old Foley guy is going to come in, and we're going to say, let's open the toolbox and go to the shed. And it's a good thing. Don't worry about it. Anyway, this has been a great show, and I encourage you to go check out Avital's work. Also, go check out jennifer's work at connectedparenting.com she has classes media books skills all kinds of things podcasts all kinds of tools and they're all really interesting and they're all really simple you don't need to go into a lab for this this is stuff that you can do in the moment and that's what i like about working with her especially many things but that's one of the big oh, i things. just went to connectedparenting.com and i'm excited to dig in when we when we end this yeah. call. Well, thank you. It's yeah. really great work that she does. Well, well, okay. Well, Jennifer, thank you again. And, and Avital, you'll come back. Yes, please. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. It's our pleasure. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can find us. We're actually on the Believe Podcast Network. It's B-L-E-A-V.com. Believe.com, the podcast network. Find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or you can go to MakeLight, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, MakeLightMedia.com. All the show notes are there. Write if you want. Tell us what's working for you. Tell us something that you want us to talk about at ed at MakeLightMedia.com. So keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. We will see you next time. Take good care. Thanks for listening.